Loretto, the 2020 Wellness Summit virtual experience was a hit with the hundreds of attendees that joined us online from all over the country. Oh, it was MP. Linda said, my first summit. Thanks so much and loving the outfits. Bronwyn Lacer said, epic. Cheryl Rennie said, thank you for a fabulous summit. It was my first one, but already I can't wait for the next one. And Vivian Derwent said, brilliant as always and all from the comfort of my own lounge room. So the question I keep getting asked, MP, is what happens in 2021? Well, Bredo, the answer is no one really knows. But we do know that there will be a wellness summit. If not in person, then another edutaining virtual experience. Yeah, that's right, MP. And we've released a small allocation of just 100 tickets to the 2021 Wellness Summit. And you can join us for only $97. And the best news is your ticket is fully flexible. So join us in person if you can make it. Or join us for a virtual experience if you can't. Or if we're not allowed to. Whatever the case, the 2021 Wellness Summit promises to be bigger and better than ever. Yeah, MP, and after Queen in 2019 and Gloria Gaynor, Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce in 2020, everyone wants to know who will be the closing act in 2021. Well, Bredo, you have to do what everyone else does. Register to find out. Oh, I'm in. 100 tickets, folks. Only $97. Get your tickets now at thewellnesssummit.com. Generally, life is like a repetition of the patterns and the programming that we received in our imprint period, which is from about the ages of zero to seven, where you had your first experiences with the world, where maybe you had an experience of being yelled at by your father. And if that's still unhealed within you, then you'll be walking around activating a circumstance where your male boss at work is going to yell at you. It's not the boss at work, but it's what that is representing at the unconscious level that is still active and wounded and needs to be healed. And the reason it hurts so much is it hurts like you're that five-year-old girl. It hurts like it's, ha- it's that raw. And your anger will probably be the, the lifetime of anger that you never healed towards your father, you know, but it's your boss in this set case. And so the whole metaphor really is powerful because so many people just try and deal with the fruit in life. They go, oh, I just need to find another job. But what happens is if that wounding is still activated in us, we'll go to another job and guess what? We'll create another boss exactly the same or we'll get into a relationship and we'll create a partner that is going to show us the wounding we have towards the masculine. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I am really excited to share with you a beautiful guest called Juliet Lever. She is a pretty extraordinary soul with an amazing story and I particularly love the way she dives into her own personal story and how she got from living a life of real self-sabotage and non-belief in self and living in a story of not being good enough and how she turned that around Now, I know every single one of us listening to this has had moments where we haven't believed in who we are, where maybe we haven't liked ourselves very much, or maybe we've lived in a story or dwelled on the past experience, maybe even blamed other people, parents, partners, bosses, all sorts of things for the way our life is living. One of the most beautiful things about this conversation is you get to see that there are tools and resources in order for us to actually make the shifts and changes we need to create the life of excellence. 
Now, Juliet is a qualified, amazing practitioner of NLP and hypnotherapy. She is also someone who is incredibly talented when it comes to helping people make major shifts in their life. She is the best-selling author of Relaunch My Life, and she also has her own podcast called Relaunch My Life Radio. She's a keynote motivational speaker and personal development trainer. Many people have called her a self-help guide, but and knowing that that she is someone who can really pull out the best in yourself so that you can truly be the example and, as I said, live life with excellence. She's a qualified NLP trainer, yoga teacher. She's a heart math resilience coach, Reiki master, and has an extensive corporate background. She believes in balancing the practical with the spiritual to find balance and peace. And I love this. With a deep commitment to empowering others to become the best version of themselves, Juliet believes that change is possible for everyone and each one of us is born for a reason. Make sure you check out the show notes to check out how you can follow Juliet with all her beautiful links. And of course, there's all the links there to follow myself either on all the social media platforms or at 28.com or of course with the mentorship program which is at kimmorrisontraining.com really loving your feedback on the podcast everybody absolutely appreciating and loving your reviews and five-star ratings really do completely and utterly value you sharing this from my heart to yours get ready to listen to the incredible Juliet Lever and I hope by the end of it you feel as inspired uplifted and motivated to live life with excellence take care Juliet Lever what an absolute privilege welcome to the self-love podcast Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor. I love you and everything you do. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. You know, I have been dying to share you. I truly believe that the work that you do and what you teach and all of what you're about and what you represent is a real typical metaphor for what I believe to be the foundation for self-love. And I'm just wondering, before we get into that, if you could give us a brief background and just what led you to being here today? Well, it's a really beautiful point because I was reflecting on it before our conversation and sort of doing a bit of reflection on my journey. And I think I know what self-love isn't. I definitely, like I wrote the book on that and literally wrote a book about it because I think my, my whole adult life up until I really relaunched my life and had this turnaround six years ago, my whole life was trying to be loved from other people's definitions of what my worth is and what that actually means and and it's just it's impossible and I think I really tried to find myself in so many external places and I just did not find peace and happiness that I was forced inward you know and the worst things got I had you know debilitating anxiety I would binge drink on weekends because it was the only way I felt kind of comfortable around people I would spend all of my corporate salary on clothes and you know cars and all of that stuff and I was just seeking external validation through all of these forms that were just ultimately empty and so I think you know I really have experienced what it's like to not love myself so that now through the journey of really peeling back the layers and feeling empowered and and doing the work now that I do it's I think every step towards truth and every step towards 
what is authentic for you is a step closer to loving yourself. And I think I think one thing that I really resonated when I read even your book is it's it's not something that you just have and then that's it. It's a constant showing up. It's a constant practice and it's a constant dance with, you know, well, what what would someone who loves themselves do and how would I handle myself if I truly love myself? And, and that, that's, you know, a constant journey, I think, as life brings us new levels. Oh, it's so beautiful and I love the way you explain that. I particularly heard the words external validation and the Mm. emptiness that follows from that. You know, when we think about um, the pleasure and humans do seem to be driven by pleasure or away from pain, when we look at that and we are searching for that, that, that external validation, shopping, eating, drinking, partying, clothes, cars, the whole things that you're talking about, what is that exactly? And then how do you, and when did you find, or what was the click or the moment where all of a sudden you went, what the heck? Mm, good, good questions. I think obviously it's different for, for each individual, but ultimately there's, there's so many things. I mean, we obviously have our six human needs, which are needs for, uh, you know, connection, needs for certainty. And so I think, you know, if, even if you think about the idea of brands, you know, brands have a way of making people feel like they belong because if you wear the same brand as someone else, then you're in this unspoken club. But, you know, often the, the clothing or the handbags or something by a given brand are no more valuable in terms of materials as the thing that you can get from Kmart, but it's the illusion that you're part of this club. And I think that sense of really wanting to fit in and connect is very inherent. It's obviously a survival kind of tactic that we have, but also, you know, I think that there is so much, especially now in the world, there is just so much uh, kind of programming around fear and that people aren't enough and that they, even with social media these days as well, there's just a lot of comparison that I think people are doing. And I think one of the things that I was reflecting on is, you know, the instability in the world right now and also the inconsistency of messages that we're getting in the world right now. The beauty in that is I think everyone is actually being forced to turn inward and everyone is going, well, the answers aren't actually out there. All I'm getting is confusing, conflicting messages. Like, and I think it's actually fostering a deeper sense of connection and intuition for people with in themselves which is a really cool thing so yeah that is a little bit of a digression from your original question but it's sort of just coming out now I guess in your presence as well but it's um the second part of your question was what uh, what was the click or what was the moment where you discovered Mm. for yourself that that external validation just wasn't it anymore what was the moment I would say, yeah, I would say there were a series of cascading moments that that pushed me closer and closer towards the life I'm living now. But one that definitely stands out was around the culture of binge drinking. And, and my friendships were very much reliant on that and, you know, going out and drinking to excess. And, and that was a pattern that I was really stuck in. And there was this moment of real, real decision of, well, who is in the driver's seat of my life? Is it me or is it my friends? And are they truly my friends if they don't accept me when I no longer choose to participate in destructive behavior. And and I remember journaling and I'm a big fan of journaling. And one of the things that I journaled about sort of six months after my big spiritual awakening was I will not let anyone else ever influence me. And writing those words, I can remember being tested. I think often once we make a powerful statement or declaration or decision for ourselves, we get tested not too soon after. And it was a couple of hours after where I was out with some girlfriends and and I was being offered drinks and 
I actually said like, no, I'm not drinking tonight. And I had about three or four of them say, oh, you used to be fun. Oh, you're so boring. Really testing and challenging that desire to be loved and included and fit in. And I was so uncomfortable. And I remember walking away. And I think, you know, ultimately in life, you you choose what other people want or you choose what you want. And at that point, I realized my values had shifted so much. I had a really good understanding of who I was, what my values were. And so it was easy to choose loving myself over loving, you know, the feeling of fitting in, which, you know, is, is just a smoke and mirrors game. I think it's a labyrinth and you're constantly just going to get challenged more and more and more of how much are you going to give your own truth up for that desire, which, yeah, it just, it no longer served me and I could see how it was being destructive. And I think we all kind of get to those points at some point in our life where we decide things have to change and, and enough is enough. And I think when you do that, it's it's ultimately, again, you talked about pain versus pleasure. Ultimately, the, the pain starts outweighing the pleasure as well. And so it does make that decision easier. I mean, that's a very isolated situation, but it, it was one that was a pattern that was, you know, very important to break and, and very you know, destructive in my life. And it was a big catalyst for my awakening and my ascension and for becoming more in tune with what my higher self was really guiding me to do and why I was even born. So it just kind of, that mm-hmm. kind of life started to pale in insignificance as I started getting more connected to my truth. So. And, and I'm wondering and curious to know, did those friendship circles obviously change with that? Yes, definitely. And I think that that was a big fear as well, you know, fears of loss, fears of abandonment, fears of you know, being a disloyal friend. And so just, you know, letting the old world crumble is okay because you just always trust that a new one will be rebuilt and the new one that's been rebuilt, like the friendships and connections I have just ah, are phenomenal and they are, you know, soulful connections where I can show up fully as myself and and I don't have to, you know, do anything that I don't want to do. In fact, I get I get celebrated for for doing the things that align with my spirit and my soul and yeah so it's it's beautiful when you do make those changes and even I think a big one for a lot of people is you know eating food choices as well and and sometimes that can cause problems in families and you know there can be we're probably going to talk about some of the courses that I run but one of the things that we talk about in the advanced NLP training master practitioner is all of our values and how we can have a conflict in values. So someone might have a highest value of health, but their second highest value might be family. And so they go to a family gathering and they're offered this food that's really unhealthy and they're standing there going like, oh, does my highest value of health exist here or does my commitment and loyalty to my family and not wanting to make my mother-in-law upset exist, you know? And so it's really funny because if you understand that stuff, then you can unpack it and you can find alignment in those values and you can realise that, uh, you know, you don't have to be in double binds all the time as well. So, yeah, it's, mm. it's really fun when you kind of look at life in that lens and you can understand why humans are doing the things that we're doing and just have that attitude of curiosity, which I know you love, but that's one of my favourite. My favourite kind of lenses with NLP is just always being curious rather than casting blame. It's being really curious about, well, what is it about that person that makes up that behaviour rather than blaming the person for displaying the behaviour? So. You're, you're getting right into the heart of, of where, really where I'm I wanted to. Ahead. Oh, I love it. I just love it because you cannot unhear NLP. You cannot unknow what you learn with NLP. Could you give us, for anyone listening that doesn't know what NLP stands for and what the cornerstone of the work is, could you give us an introduction into NLP and why it's become such a big part of both of our worlds? I will. And 
I first of all really want to acknowledge that there's a lot of different NLP trainers and there's a lot of different even ideas on what NLP is. And and so all I can give you is my best version of it based on my direct experience and transformation with it. And it's been one of the most potent and powerful catalysts for empowerment and growth that I've ever experienced. That and hypnosis, the two together have just been like the yin-yang on my healing journey. And, and so, you know, if you ask someone else what NLP is you'll get a very different answer but to me NLP is like having the keys to the city it's like it's like being given the keys to your subconscious mind and all of the tools that you need it's like being given the user manual of life on how to operate your subconscious and I don't know about you but when I learned NLP I literally was was so mad that I didn't know this stuff before because I'd been banging my head against the wall for, I felt like for forever, but it was like, I think I was 29 when I studied NLP. So it felt like so long, right? But once I learned this and I agree with you, it's like taking the red pill, right? As soon as you start realizing like, oh, you know, people are not their behaviors, accept the person and, and just adjust and help them change their behavior. And it's, it's phenomenal. But anyway, back to what I was saying is, is NLP is different based on where you study it and who you study it with, because you're always going to adopt the belief structure of the teacher that's teaching you. So there are some people that teach NLP and it's like a side business. It's a hobby business. Uh, there are some people who teach NLP just because they want to make money, you know, and that's great. And it's, yeah, it does make money. And then there's other people who NLP has changed their life. And that for me is like the, the power that I teach this stuff from, because it is so powerful. And when you think about the intention that you have with all of the tools and the techniques that you learn intention is everything and so it's my beautiful partner Paul actually he's been teaching NLP for nearly 15 years he's like 36 this year but he learned NLP and did his trainer training when he was 21 and he's just phenomenal right so he he really woke woke my eyes up uh, to this world and it wasn't until I actually did my trainers training that I realized it's not just NLP but it's what he has actually added to it and then now with me teaching it it's how much my life transformed with it that that's what we teach um, then in terms of embodiment but to backtrack NLP just to kind of give a real layman's term explanation of it it's really understanding the language of the mind and how you can produce excellence in your life. So it's really the study of excellence and how humans get results. And so it's this idea of modeling and all of NLP is basically modeling and we can model excellence and we actually automatically do it in life. You know, after enough trial and error, we learn what things work and what things don't. And just take, for example, you know, social situations. When you first meet someone, you've learned through a process of modeling what sort of things can build connection with people and what sort of things you don't say in social settings or don't do to break rapport right and so we've learned these things but what NLP has actually done is it's broken it down into steps and created processes around things like yes building rapport but also understanding like unconscious strategies and understanding how we actually create neural connections between situations and events and also how we actually store emotions and limiting beliefs at the subconscious level how to set goals and actually achieve them through 
weaving them into the subconscious and all of these incredible tools that I just believe are the user manual for life. And so I'm passionate about educating as many people as I can in this because I believe knowledge is power, but it's embodied knowledge that's power because you can Google NLP. In fact, some people tell me, oh yeah, I studied NLP. I did a $20 Udemy course and I just kind of smile and, and say, that's very different to sitting in a living, breathing classroom environment and experiencing and trying on and 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 feeling what it's like to be both the coach and the client, you know, the, the giver and the receiver of these processes and how it actually transforms lives. It's such a different experience. So, I mean, I would tell you as well, asking what NLP is, is kind of like that saying of asking what peanut butter tastes like if you've never tasted peanuts. You know, my <laughs> suggestion is there's no better thing than tasting the real thing, experiencing it. And so, you know, find an amazing coach, find someone that has, you've got a great word of mouth referral from, like don't just find a random coach, find someone that you really resonate with. And these days it's really easy to connect with people on social media and find someone to work with, but find a coach and experience it yourself or, you know, dive straight in and give yourself a week of just peeling back the subconscious layers and finding out more about who you are and what makes you tick and and you'll learn so much that I think like you said once you learn this stuff you just you can't unlearn it it just is this lens that you look at the world and reality with um that you know that, that is just phenomenal so I mean I know that you first studied it in it was in the 80s I was so fortunate that I was, I had just moved back to New Zealand. It was early 91. And my mother-in-law was going to the university to do a course on NLP and hypnotherapy. And I went along and did the first um, practitionership course with her. She went on to do her master's in hypnotherapy. By that stage, I was traveling and doing other things, but I've never forgotten it. And in fact, what it did for me, I think, Juliet, is probably set up an unconscious awareness of particularly for me and probably one of the biggest things that I would say has been a strength for me over many, many years is my ability to, I would say, reframe things. And and that might have been the one of the few things that I took from it at a very young age was that there was always another perception. There was always someone else's viewpoint. But then how can I reframe this in order for me to have the outcome or to walk away, it'd be okay to walk away from something to have the outcome that served me. And of course, rapport, when I started to learn to speak and when I was trained, that was one of the biggest things they talked about. They were trained NLP practitioners. They talked about constant presupposition and rapport building and our sensory acuity. And there was just so many things. And it was like, every time I heard these words come up, I was like, this, this is familiar language to me. This is, it's just, it, it might sound like a whole lot of words to people, first of all, hearing this, but when you study it, and it really is about the study of, of human excellence, like you said, and modeling behavior and whatnot, but I just found it one of the most powerful tools to give myself permission to not have to be perfect and also to realize that no one else out there is perfect and that's okay not to be judged for that. And if that's the most simplest, rawest thing I took away from it, then I felt amazed. And so to then catch up with you and to do my study with you um, last year, it, I felt like I was home, Juliet. It felt like mm. it felt like I had gone, maybe I'd learned French when I was younger and I'd gone back and all of a sudden the language felt correct again. And I'd just love you to explain to people how in your perception and from your point of view, I just said to you a couple of things that really stuck in for me. When you started learning it, 
was there certain things that took longer for you to understand or was it just something you fell into and just embraced wholeheartedly because you had a partner that was so skilled in it or was there one or two things that stuck out for you as well? Oh, it's a great question because, in fact, I studied hypnotherapy before I studied NLP. (laughs) And that was really important because I'd come from this corporate background where everything was like right and wrong, black and white. And and hypnosis was like being thrown into the deep end of ambiguity and there was no black and white, right or wrong. It was trusting your intuition. And that was something that was so new to me that it was beautiful. It was so perfect. So I, I really gelled with hypnosis and I just started working with hypnosis with clients and I would do relaxation hypnosis sessions with clients on the weekends. And that's actually how my coaching business started. I started getting so busy on weekends that I had to drop back to four days a week in my corporate, you know, nine to five job and and then I did NLP about six months later and NLP for me was like the the fire that gave me all of the inner confidence and strength to then quit my corporate job and go full-time into the coaching business and so it really is like a yin yang like the hypnosis is like yin it's like fluid it's chaotic but it's beautiful flow like you're with a client you don't know where it's going to go the way Paul teaches it there's no scripts you're not just reading a piece of paper you're very much connected with your client and where they are so you know where they are in in terms of depths of trance as well so you know where you can go with them it's profound and then NLP was all you know procedural and structured and paper and, and processes which initially floored me because I kind of had gotten so used to using my intuition and all of a sudden there's processes and steps and things like that but I have so much respect for it because at the practitioner level you're really given very powerful tools and I think for me timeline therapy was the most powerful breakthrough like I just thought this is gold this is the quickest simplest easiest way to rewire our subconscious limiting beliefs and negative emotions and and for me learning about why I had stored and how I had stored things like anger and sadness in my in my physical body for so long and being able to release that I felt felt lighter and all sorts of stuff right but but the the practitioner level I respect so much now why it's so structured because the tools are so powerful and when we go into master practitioner we dive then even deeper into those and really flesh them all out and you become much more kind of fluid with understanding why and how the techniques actually work and and it's not just following a process it's actually knowing why you're doing a process and and when to do it and when it's appropriate so I thought I was slow because NLP actually took me a lot longer to master and of course I'm fortunate I was I was running retreats and doing coaching and everything like that and so I would actually assist Paul at all of his NLP training so I probably did NLP about 10 to 15 times times and then he still had to nudge me to do a tra- my trainer's training he said you know, I want you to teach this stuff with me we can teach master prac and and I'd created all of these rules in my head you know I needed to reframe the perspective because I'd made this rule that oh no he's so amazing at teaching it I could never be as good as him and so I had to kind of really overcome all of this personal development in myself and how could I really walk my walk and talk my talk where he just you know encouraged me and I had to really work through a lot of stuff and since doing my trainers training and teaching I found my voice you know I found what I love to do and in fact it's been beautiful because we get to now co-teach master prac and we tag team so we take a day each and the group love it because they get you know male voice one day female voice the next day and we come in off the bench at 100 percent. so they've got like this fresh presenter every day and so it's this really nice kind of 
shared stage that that we get but yeah I thought I was really slow and I thought I wasn't good at NLP because it took me like yeah assisting at 10 to 15 courses of seven days each so that's a lot of time (laughs) before I even felt remotely confident to start you know looking at becoming a trainer and teaching this stuff so I think um you know it 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 each like each person is very individual and we have some people that you know hypnosis is much more challenging for them some people nlp is much more challenging but challenging in the most beautiful growth seeking ways and i think you know humans are growth seeking beings we choose i think we can either choose to grow consciously or unconsciously and if we stop growing consciously then we'll attract situations that force us to grow so i'm just always like all right sign me up to the next personal development course sign me up to this next thing and i think you're very similar you're always busy doing stuff and learning because i think if you're always committed to growing and learning then then you know you stay you stay ahead of it but for me yeah definitely oh so much i mean even the presuppositions of nlp like the the assumptions that we adopt they're almost like the philosophies of nlp just as a human being those presuppositions i think if everyone in the world took those on board i think things would just be so much simpler um explain that a little bit more what do you mean with the presuppositions just so that people can understand Yeah, ultimately, there's like basically 18 different assumptions that we make when we're using NLP and we're working with clients. And there's, uh, they all basically stem down to really respecting the subjective nature of reality and how everyone is creating their own reality based on their beliefs, their experiences, their programming. And so we actually really never know how anyone is receiving the information that we give them because we've deleted and distorted all of this information and made generalizations just to make speech and then we're telling someone something but then it has to actually go through their filters for them to understand it they're always creating a narrative and an internal representation based on everything we say so you know even in the classroom i'll give the example of i'll say to the classroom you know i want you to think of water And I will literally say that to a class full of 15 people and there will be 15 different versions of water. Some people will say, oh, waterfall. Some people will say, oh, drinking water. Some people will say, oh, swimming in the ocean. And there'll be 15 different definitions just for the word water. And when I say definition, different internal pictures that people are getting as we're talking. And with just one word, water, that's so simple, right? But think of an entire conversation or an entire speech that you do or maybe an entire podcast episode. If just the word water can get so misinterpreted and interpreted in so many different ways, an entire conversation, you actually never know what people are taking from it or how it's landing on people because everyone has their own model of the world. So the presuppositions really just get you to be super conscious of the fact that, you know, all humans are doing the best that they can with the resources they have available and little things like, you know, there's no failure, only feedback and just really simple ideas to hold true and I think the thing that's really beautiful about learning NLP at its core is so many different personal development and business courses out there actually teach NLP but they don't tell you it's NLP so for me studying NLP was like ah I learned about this in this course ah that's what that person was talking about at that course I didn't realize that it was NLP it just wasn't kind of packaged that way if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so that was that was really enlightening as well to kind of understand uh, for me I love going to the source and and then finding out how people have created their versions of that as well in whatever their offerings are yeah it's pretty powerful you know uh, something that I studied for three years leading up to writing the book was trying to understand why we humans seem to have to go through some form of struggle, identity crisis, um, some sort of thing, a Mack truck hitting us, metaphorically speaking, trauma, 
um, there seems to be this pattern that in order for us to have a spiritual, um, physical, mental, emotional awakening, there is something that interrupts our everyday. Could you explain in your words, um, first of all, does everybody have to go through trauma or something negative or a struggle or challenge of some sort in order to elevate themselves? Is that part of human nature? Or do some people just go through life and they're happy to, to not even have to worry about other things? I love that question. I just have the biggest <laughs> smile on my face because you're just so cool. I just, I just feel like I could literally talk to you all day, but I, I, and I, and I want to know what you think as well, right? Here's me, the, the inter interviewer. I want to interview the interviewer as well. But I, I mean, the universe is really based on, on chaos and order, right? There's always chaos and order. And once we get, we have chaos, we can find the order at the next level. And then we bring ourselves chaos to get to the next level of order. And, and that's growth, right? Um, death and rebirth, destruction and creation. That's just, you know, the ebb and flow of life. And I think there is a very imbalanced view of the world that there can be life without any death. And this is you know, this is a fact of life is actually the best. I mean, even flowers, <laughs> they grow actually best if you give them death, like blood and bone and things like that, which isn't pretty and perfect, but our world is not designed to be this clinical sterile place. We need the, the depths of the dirt and we need the darkness and also the light. And it's in that contrast that that's where things are so beautiful. So, I mean, I love, you talked about how reframing is your favorite and that's been such a anchor for me personally going through those wobbly moments or those chaotic moments of, oh, there is going to be some beautiful order that comes out of all of this chaos, you know? And I think, I think it's almost like, like I always get the image. I'm very visual. I like the image of like a roller coaster of life, and just always trusting that you know if you're on the down, you know just enjoy it. You know, scream and have fun, and you know enjoy and look at your friend next to you and be like, oh my gosh, this is so scary because it's going to go back up again. And and I think it's you know we've all signed up for this roller coaster called life. We didn't sign up for the merry-go-round. And I think some people think they want a merry-go-round, but after about thirty or forty or fifty years, that'd be super boring. So mm -hmm. I mean, I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it you know nothing is inherently bad or good. It's what we say that it is. So if when we're going through those those moments of uncertainty or discomfort, if we can frame them as feelings of growth or opportunities to be challenged or, you know, challenge or whatever, even Paul and I were talking about this just this morning, you know, even the simple label of saying, I've got this problem in my life or saying, I've got this challenge in my life are two very different labels that provoke a very different response out of us as well. So yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, a little bit of that, that, snow globe shaking up is really important because then the, the snow pieces and everything can fall in a new place in a new way and and you know changes are constant but I think it's what is your story and, and what are you saying about it because if you're trying to resist it every step of the way I think that's when it gets the most uncomfortable I think I shared an Alan Watts quote the other day that the only way to make sense of change in this world is to move through it and dance with it <laughs> and I think there's so many people that when change comes it's like no I don't want things to change and meanwhile the change is just like knocking and knocking <laughs> so yeah what do you think I'm curious to know what you think I I kind of, you know, obviously look at it with the perspective of I've yet to meet anyone that hasn't been through some form of challenge and there's different levels of challenge and I'm not here to judge what is the worst or the best challenge. 
but I do believe I'm yet to meet anyone that's ever said to me, Juliet, that their life has been 100% perfect. They've never been hurt by anybody. They've never felt ripped off. They've never been judged. They've loved themselves inside and out. They've got the most amazing parents. They've got the best upbringing. They've got the most amazing body. Like I've just, I've never heard it. I mean, yes, when I interview older women in particular, they'll say, I have come to be very happy with everything and appreciate Mm. that in my wisdom, if it wasn't for those moments, I wouldn't be who I am today when they're talking about the darker times. But like I said, so then I went on a quest and a journey of asking and interviewing so many people. Well, then if challenge or problems, depending on your perception, but I like the word challenge as well, when challenges hit us, how do we, what's, what, what's our go-to? I mean, we're going to need a repertoire of tools and strategies and some sort of um, foundation to fall on because when emotions are high, intelligence seems to go out the window. And mm. so from my perspective, the investment I have made into my own personal growth journey, my own self-love journey, and my own desire to expand a consciousness beyond what I even t- sometimes understand has cost me a lot if you want to say that or have I just invested a huge amount of love into myself and I really look at anything that I've spent on myself books included your book um, the investment of a good set of headphones to listen to great podcasts whatever it is I seem to always turn it into an investment into my own personal growth and development and I know that through the work that you've done and what I've learned through people like yourself that if I can be a better version of myself, then I become the example and possibly even create a ripple effect for people around me. And when I have my children's friends say, you've got to talk to Kimmy or Mm. Kimmy's the best one to talk to, or I, I, I had a lady ring me today, a family member ring me today, and she said, I haven't been able to talk to anybody about this, but I know that you'll understand my heart just glows into a thousand fragments of amazing light because I think I think what they trust about me is one, I don't judge it, and two, I'm really open to listening to it, and three, I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this. The longer I let someone explain their story and maybe with a little bit of guidance on how to tell it, they actually have the answers with it. So I'm not really even there except to perhaps be a guide in using some of those techniques from a procedural point of view or even just my own love language supports them to come to that same place for themselves. But I've learned the art of listening and guiding. And I think from my perspective, when I get hit with a challenge or a problem, then my interpretation, my first go-to, I tend to go silent, Juliet. I tend to go, I go into a space of, Oh, I've got, I can't, I can't judge it. Whereas I've got a girlfriend, Cindy, who goes straight, you know, Cindy goes into a flat straight away. Oh my God, oh my God, she flaps. Whereas I go deathly still and I need to hear everything. Let it sit before I do my next move. And even that in itself has been interesting to watch. But I do believe that learning and investing in ourselves, especially while life is great, is one of the greatest tools and investments we can give to ourselves. Because when the, when the, it does hit the fan, then at least you know you've got something there as a foundation and skills and tools to navigate your way up, out, over, and through those times. So I think we're saying the same thing, and I really appreciate that language is such a an incredible aspect of relationships with myself and others, how I talk to myself. Sometimes I've become, you know, I, I can be mindless when I speak and you know, I've said something and I've gone, why did I say that? 
And then other times I'm really thoughtful. Most of the time I feel like I'm quite thoughtful with how I speak. And that's something that I learned even just last year with your training was to be really mindful about the way I speak. Is it important or is it more important to listen? So I don't know if that answers your question in return, but I kind of feel like it is a dance, don't you think? Yeah, and I feel like you really illustrated the the beauty, I think, in a lot of what Paul and I teach with the NLP and the hypnosis is it lets the, the coach off the hook. I think there's this idea that people are afraid of being a coach or working in that space because they think like, oh, but I won't have all the answers. And the beautiful thing is we really encourage our students to not have the answers and to trust that when your client walks in with their problem or challenge, they also walk in with the solution, but they're just unconscious of it. And so being able to help them to navigate into their subconscious and find the part within them because from a quantum physics if i can get into that it's Mm -hmm. a bit further Mm -hmm. from a quantum physics perspective you know in order for a problem to exist there also has to be what's called the non-mirror image reverse and that is that there has to also be not a problem and so all we're doing with a lot of the processes is actually taking the client to the place in their neurology where they're opposite of the problem exists within them and it's amazing because once we start getting into like master practitioner and things like that you actually work with clients and at the end of the session they can't even remember what the problem was that they came in with (laughs) because they can't go back in their thinking back to that place it's like they can't shrink back into that that part that was thinking that way because it's been completely reconfigured so it's super cool but yeah i think you are, are very gifted with I mean, I was just, the words earth angel just kept like coming out as you were talking because just who you are, I think people just feel so safe with you, which is really special and really beautiful. And I think, especially if your children and, uh, you know, their friends, I think the next generation really need that because there has been, um, you know, such a disconnect in terms of social connection as well with all of the, you know, internet and social media and everything like that. But you know, I think learning these skills, they're just human, human skills really is how do we connect and relate at a really human level and hear people, but not hear them that they just keep telling their story, but hear them in a way that allows them to access the truth and the answers and be that mirror that shows them what's, what's true right now. And often it's very different to what was true, you know, three months ago when the problem existed. So, you know, one yeah. of your favorite things that you, I always have you in my mind and, oh, if no. any, and if any of my students are listening or any of my mentoring clients are listening, I always draw a tree and fruit yeah. all over it and Good. then some roots and things at the bottom. And then I always, before I even start, and some of you, if you're parents, you might like to take this on. So one thing that I've really learned over time is if something bad happens to us, you know, we tend to tell the story over and over and we tend to want people to know. And apparently, I don't know how true this is, but we'll tell a negative story 10 times more than a positive because of the reaction and the drama and all of the things that come with it. And and I remember, you know, being told one day by a lady when we'd lost all our money and the financial collapse and all these things, and I'd obviously been telling the story. And she looked at me, a friend, and said, I'm so sick of your story. And I was just like, I was almost, you know, insulted. I was like, sorry. And she goes, really over your story. Like, so what? Heaps of people lost money. We lost money. I'm just sick of hearing it. Well, I tell you what, that was the biggest pattern interrupt I've ever had in my life. um, I never told my story again, not in that way. I didn't tell it from a victim point of view. I've now shared my story 
And I believe the power of telling a story is to demonstrate a positive outcome or a way of coming through the other side or, or how you have evolved. Because ultimately what we love about people that have gone through challenge and challenge and challenge, what we admire most about humanity is the incredible deep inner will to get up and over it and to be stronger because and in spite of it. And they're the people I love to be around. They elevate my level of participation in this world. They allow me to see a greater version of myself when I hear these stories. So when I draw the tree and I do it to my kids, I'll draw the tree and I'll put pictures of fruit on it and I'll go, I'm really happy for you to tell me a story. But if you start picking too many apples and picking fruit or if you start turning it into jam, I'm going to call you on it. So tell me if you're happy for me to call you on it. Otherwise, I'm not your person to tell the story to, you know. And the yeah, amount right. of time, it's become the best um, <laughs> example. Could you just explain a little bit more? Because I don't think I'm giving it justice, but I just no, really yeah appreciate what that really gave to me as a parent and also as a mentor oh completely I mean it's definitely nicely done in visual but I'm sure everyone listening to this can now picture a fruit tree but it's sort of a symbol or a metaphor for the fact that when when we talk about things so when something is active in us say something uh, let's just say a really simple example is someone's boss yelled at them at work for example and if someone starts talking about that they're talking about the isolated incident they're talking about something that has happened recently and and they can talk about that and a lot of people will go to a psychologist or a counselor or something like that and they will talk about that and if you just deal with that isolated issue it's almost like chopping an apple off a tree and and the problem with that is that the tree is still there and next season, another apple is just going to grow in its place, in the exact place, and there's lots of other apples that are on the tree. So from the training perspective and what we look at with NLP is getting into what's called the root cause. We don't want to deal with fruit problems. We want to deal with the root cause. And it's from this whole idea that generally life is like a repetition of the patterns and the programming that we received in our imprint period, which is from about the ages of zero to seven, where you had your first experiences with the world, where maybe you had an experience of being yelled at by your father. And if that's still unhealed within you, then you'll be walking around activating a circumstance where your male boss at work is going to yell at you. It's not the boss at work, but it's what that is representing at the unconscious level that is still active and wounded and needs to be healed. And the reason it hurts so much is it hurts like you're that five-year-old girl. It hurts like it's, it's that war. And your anger will probably be the, the lifetime of anger that you never healed towards your father, you know, but it's your boss in this set case. And so the whole metaphor really is powerful because so many people just try and deal with the fruit in life. They go, oh, I just need to find another job. But what happens is if that wounding is still activated in us, we'll go to another job and guess what? We'll create another boss exactly the same or we'll get into a relationship and we'll create a partner that is going to show us the wounding we have towards the masculine. And so what Paul and I are really passionate about educating people about is how to clear that that wounding that we're most people these days most adults are actually just unhealed children mm. <laughs> in adult covered meat sacks right and, and so <laughs> you know people and this is why when you have a disagreement or an argument with someone this is why people react irrationally and sometimes when you have an argument with someone you think to yourself god i feel like i'm talking to a child it's because neurologically they've actually regressed back to who they were emotionally when that first wound ever happened so in nlp we actually really help to uncover what was the root cause and how can we heal that first event so 
that all of the energy that's around that that's been happening over the whole lifetime of repeating the problems and talking about the fruit and making all sorts of fruit salads, right? It's not that. It's not the event. It's what the event represents at the unconscious level. And so we get really skillful at finding out, well, what is this pattern of or how has this shown up for you previous to this? And and backtracking through the unconscious so that we can get to that root cause. And that's when you can really start to create change and then install new beliefs and, and attract a completely different reality. Like I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza and we've got to change in order to change our personal reality. We've got to change our personality and that includes the stories, but also what we are energetically carrying in terms of our wounding, because it is like a little, I kind of picture it as almost like an unconscious, um, what is it like? like echolocation under the water if you think of like dolphins and fish and you know they send out little sonic waves i feel like humans are like that with our wounds and so we'll send out little echolocation go like hey i got a problem with women in authority and so they will then cling to and there'll be like a magnetic pull towards some sort of controlling female figure and and those people will just be gravitating because it's like an unseen force that we bring into our lives so we've got to do the inner work and we've got to clear the root causes so that we can actually start to clean up what's happening and i think it was even in our training there was a question that someone said i don't know if it was you or cindy but you asked i think it was cindy she was saying but what about you know when you run events and talks and there's just that one person that's just really rude and railroads the whole thing and i just looked at cindy and i'm like not in my reality like that literally doesn't happen in my classrooms because i do the work and if something like that does happen i'm very quick to to figure out where it's come from what it is about me and shift it so that then i can give my best to the training so yeah it's fascinating when you start this is why i hope people listening to this were prepared because you're kind of starting to take a bit of red pills right in this conversation um in in a very non-medicated way in a very um in a very you know holistic and learning the truth of who we really are as humans and why we act this way as well and um and i think you know there's this this saying these days have you i don't know if you've heard of it of ghosting have you heard of that okay it's i've had girlfriends that basically they've either had friends or part or boyfriends that they've had that have ghosted them and it basically means they just drop offline and they don't contact them again Mm-hmm. or they just don't ever hear from them again. And I actually feel like it's almost like a protection mechanism because people are afraid of showing their wounds and their, you know, how they would actually react. Some people would rather just not see someone ever again than react in a way that is childish or, or with their wounding or they're just being so activated they don't actually know how to be in the presence of that person, so they just try and avoid them. But the more, what you resist persists and they'll probably just end up bringing more and more of that in different different forms be it bosses or partners or Mm. whatever it is anyway i'm going deep down the rabbit hole now yeah it's really exciting i love i just love the whole inquiry and like you said at the very beginning about being curious about the way we act and the way we behave more importantly probably how we respond and i just want to quickly ask you a question a word that most people would be familiar with is the word trigger and when we get triggered by what someone says or what someone does i'm always interested in going after the why you were triggered by that so let's say in this day and age with everything we've been going through let's just say 2020 has been one big major trigger for so many people in so many different ways but there are some people let's for example say Pete Evans who is on 
his in his life and his way he feels it's important for him to express what he's learning and sharing he has done a lot of work on himself he shares a lot but then he'll say something and the trigger the response for some people is and and it's quite nasty he's not the only one obviously or the other way when someone is really pro say vaccination and then you'll get some people coming in and and maybe you know pointing the finger at them about this sort of thing so there's this real guttural kind of awful behavior we present even in probably our own homes around someone triggering us now i get asked all the time well how do you stop the trigger and i love it but i'd really love to hear your response to that <laughs> i love that you said you love it because i do too you know i think i think i would be asking would well, not how do i stop it but how do i how do I, it's almost like being given this, this gift. It's like, well, how do I unwrap it and enjoy it the best, you know, in the most applicable way? Because it's funny. It's almost like, well, how do I find and follow those triggers even more intently? And I think, you know, the, the fastest way to grow is to find and follow those triggers. And I even, I did a post about this a couple of weeks ago about in any kind of personal development course or any training that I've ever done or any kind of social environment, I will actually seek out the person that triggers me or intimidates me and I will get to know them. And there will always be some healing or some powerful pattern because one of my favorite quotes is, I think it's Buddha, you know, if you can't see God in the next person, then you can't see him or her at all. And I think there is this illusion of separation. And I think good on Pete Evans. I think he's triggering the, can I swear a little bit? Yes, <laughs> he's, yes. He's, he's triggering the crap out of the fact that a lot of people in our society's biggest fear is fear of judgment. And he doesn't have that. So he's triggering the fact in people who have fear of judgment and they're holding themselves back. And he's just like, whatever, take it or leave it. This is me. And I'm just going to say all of this stuff. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to agree. But I mean, we are in a very polarized society at the moment. And I don't know if you watch that social dilemma on Netflix. It's really interesting. Just started watching it. Yes. It's really cool. Once you get to it, probably about an hour away from where you're at, maybe um, it talks about how polarized our society is because we're, the algorithms on social media just give you more of what you like and interact with. So you're not getting the the balanced perspective anymore. You're just seeing more and more of the people you follow and what they like. And you're seeing less and less of the stuff you don't follow and don't like. So when you finally hear about something that you haven't seen on your feed, it seems foreign and strange and kooky. And so there's these, these like, huge masses now in polarization which is basically a recipe for civil war it's a good way to get people to fight each other because there's such opposing views so i think he definitely triggers people and i think that's good because right now doing the shadow work and diving into what we trigger what we reject what we judge what we deny in ourselves you know all humans have all traits we all have dark and light good and bad and the moment we say oh no that's not me i'm not like that that's actually that's actually where we are the most like that because it's the most unconscious it's the most disowned within us it's the biggest shadow that we have um there's a really great movie by her name is actually debbie ford it's not the Debbie Ford Clinics. It's Debbie. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send you the link, but it's called mm-hmm. The Shadow 
the shadow effect movie you would love it i'll send you the link uh and it really goes into that and that's why paul and i traditionally in master prac it's only a 12-day course but ours is a 16-day course because we've added a couple of days in we spend a bit of extra time on values but we also have added in days to work on shadow work and we go through shadow processes to help people heal their shadow in terms of the traits that they reject but also heal what's called your golden shadow so everyone also has a golden shadow where you will you will disown positive traits and you will only see them in others and so then you'll feel jealous about people because they're actually reflecting back the stuff that you're not owning in yourself so people might say like oh you know kim you're so confident you're so brave i could never be a speaker like you so they're disowning their own confidence they're disowning their own bravery and they're disowning their own inner speaker and inner voice and so that energy it has to go somewhere, right? And so if they're not seeing it in themselves, then they will likely not necessarily get triggered by you, but there will be some form of expression of that that they will get triggered by. And it's really powerful if you can teach people how to actually take that energy back and be a whole person who has mm-hmm. the darkness and the light. And we all have dark and light. You know? We all have all of that. And the moment you can own it, the the, the better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to Dr. John Martini a couple of months ago and interviewed him. And he said, you know, imagine getting in a relationship with someone and you say, I want a partner who's kind and never cruel. I want a partner who's tidy and never untidy. I want a partner who is, you know, um, loving and never unloving. And it's just impossible. Like there's always going to be times in life where someone will perceive you as unkind. And the more you are attached to being seen as kind and loving, the more you'll actually unconsciously create situations where you have to be perceived as the opposite to help you to balance your shadow. So the universe is always trying to find us, help us to find balance. And so if we can just love, and I think self-love obviously comes down to loving all of us, not just the stuff that society says is lovable, but the darkness and the messiness and the ugliness and the you know how can you sit with these triggers and be okay with being angry and for a lot of women being angry is not a, a, a beautiful emotion you know we're not meant to feel it and when we were little girls we were told like don't be angry don't be this and so we would repress it and it became part of our collective shadow and there's a lot of freaking angry women out there that are disowning their anger and they will say things like oh i'm not an angry person and then this unfortunately when it comes to shadow work and this is something that is covered in that movie as well but we talk a lot about in master crack is you know that's actually the most dangerous if if you completely disown something then you're most likely to bring it to yourself in excess and so a really beautiful practice is to notice you know any imbalance that's showing up around you if there are people showing up around you that are imbalanced you know expressing large amounts of anger it's it's happening in your universe you know you are the common denominator in your universe so if you can really reflect on what they're showing and how that is showing up for you and this is fun right because in my relationship with paul if i'm ever feeling like a lot of anger or something i'll just like check in with him because often the woman in the relationship is the the container for the emotions right we're the emotional soup yeah and if i'm ever feeling super duper angry about something i'll just check in with paul and be like hey babe where are you at like is there anything you're feeling angry about and and for men, they've learned so much to dissociate from their emotions that sometimes it takes a couple of rounds before he'll be safe enough and held enough to say like, actually, yeah, this is really coming up for me. And it's cool. You know, mm. it's powerful as a feminine expression in the relationship to tap into that. And so, you know, men often say like, oh, my wife, she's so emotional. Well, <laughs> there's two in that relationship. And so it's really cool for the male then to, to what's their relationship with their emotions and how safe is it for them to be able to connect to them and safely express them. I got into a massive rant then because there is so much about trigger oh, and response. I love it. 
But you I think can't say enough, Juliet Lee, but you cannot say enough. <laughs> sometimes the best response is nothing, you know. A wise man once said nothing, you know. And sometimes, <laughs> like you said, just being really still and just feeling it um, and, and allowing emotions to flow through you is okay as well because I think it's, it's only uh, – uh, there's different research. I've heard it's only 10 seconds and I've also heard it's only about 35 seconds. It depends whose research you do, but – that's how long emotions stay in our system. So if you can be with the emotion, but what often happens is people will start feeling an emotion, they'll get scared of it and then they'll run away from it and they'll distract through food or, you know, other things. And if you can actually be with it and be okay, I'm feeling angry right now and that's okay and and embrace it. I think that is self-love. Like accepting and owning whatever is coming up for you in the moment is a form of self-love and that's really a way of being emotionally present with yourself and you know, emotional abandonment. I wrote the book on that. You know, that is, that's a really easy way not to love yourself is if you're running away from your own feelings um, because mm. there is, you know, it, it's just crying to be expressed and pun intended, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of self-love and knowing that, you know, it is one of the most important things that we could possibly grow up with as a, I've got a niece and a nephew and I've got slightly older nieces and nephews but they, you know, when they're little, there is there is bountiful amounts of love and they yes. absolutely own that love and they think they're the absolute bee's knees and everything. They're the bubble of everyone's eyes. They're told how amazing they are. Everybody loves them. They're bloody cute. They do all these things. At what point do humans stop loving themselves or start uh, becoming more aware of what other people say or think and therefore create meaning? And then, as you said at the very beginning, then have a perspective on life that maybe is triggered from that one meaning. Is that the way it happens? Oh, it's a really good question. And I would always say it depends. Like it depends (laughs) on the, the beautiful myriad of combination of sequences and experiences that each human has as to what their recipe is for why they're in the life experience they're in right now. But ultimately, it's funny that you even mentioned, you know, yeah, they're cute, they're little, and they know it and people tell them they're cute. And then, you know, kids get to about six or seven or eight. And yeah, they're still cute, but they're kind of getting a little bit awkward. They're losing teeth. They might not get told as much as they did when they were four or five and they attached an identity around being cute and then all of a sudden they start questioning like oh I'm not cute anymore what is my worth and then they have to perform okay well maybe my worth is about doing well in school and so they do really well in school but then they don't do as much fitness and so they put on a bit of weight and then you know like all this different all this different stuff so it depends on the person it depends on the child it depends on the family and the thing is as parents and I'm obviously not a parent yet but I I, I'm modeling excellence and I observe amazing mothers and fathers everywhere and just, you know, what is it? It's impossible to do it perfectly because even if you did it perfectly, that wouldn't be perfect because then the child wouldn't have the, the contrast of experiences to be the unique human. They, they would be a robot, right? So there, there's always going to be gaps. There's always going to be different journeys, but I definitely believe, you know, everyone signs up for their own life experience and they get the, the the journey that they need but I mean ultimately we we don't have a conscious mind until the age of about seven seven or eight depending on I think it's getting a bit earlier now so the first zero to seven years is called our imprint period and that's when we're really a sponge and we're taking everything literally we're taking everything personally we just we still believe in you know father christmas and all of that stuff and and so we're just absorbing reality as it is and then it's around the age of seven or eight we start forming our critical faculty and our conscious mind and we start questioning things and and at that 
um, you know, in the first zero to seven years, that's when we're forming all of our beliefs and that's when we just look like adopt all of our beliefs. And that could be, I'm cute and that could stay, but it also could be something like I'm not good enough because maybe, you know, the first time we tried riding our bike, we fell off and we made a belief that we're not good enough. And then that can get generalized into all sorts of different circumstances. But you're right, you know, as humans, we weren't born and when, when you know, when we come out of the belly, we think, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, we're this miracle. And, and, it's, and it's the experiences that we have in life that we then, you know, question. But also, of course, you know, we're, we're observing our parents and we're observing teachers and we're observing siblings and we're learning from them and we're also adopting their belief structures in that imprint period too as our own. So, you know, there's who knows what the complex combination is, but gosh, is it the best journey learning that about yourself and unlearning it as well? You know, I think you said something before about how you really are committed to just being being a better version of yourself and and you already are. Like you are already that unique, beautiful soul that was birthed into this world, you know, back when you were born. And it's it's just the layers of programming that I think are no longer fitting that we just let go of so that more of the truth of who you really are shines out. And that's that's what I think this world needs is actually the real human, the 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 soul that we're born as and that infinite knowing that, yeah, I'm a freaking miracle, you know. The chances of even being born in a human existence are so small that how fun that we're getting to play in this time in this reality of so much change in the world as well it's challenging as but it's um it's it's i think this is a real turning point for the world at the moment and it's really important that we are all you know doing the work and i think you've you've nailed it on the head with saying self-love is one of the most important things because we can only love others to the extent that we love ourselves I want to ask you a question. It's quite esoteric, maybe even a little bit out there. Let's Um, go there. (laughs) What's your reasoning or what's your perception or understanding? Why does a two-year-old get leukemia and then a 90-year-old drinks and smokes all their life? And then is is there a soul is there a soul lesson for those left behind? Is there what, like, why is there such tragedy and such challenge and such um, sadness? And yet some people seem to just, you know, blissfully skip through life with relatively small problems. Do you think there's anything from a soul or esoteric level that really is beyond even the human existence of this and what we're doing? That's a really beautiful question. And, you know, first of all, I would say it would depend on the person, the situation and all of that. And second, I would say this may trigger some people, you know, but we, I'm saying this with as much awareness as I can possibly bring to this conversation, which is obviously based on my unique experience of reality and what I've, what I've encountered. And it's funny because on a personal perspective, you know, I am starting to get more maternal and I've been noticing, you know, that stuff and had those thoughts because I've actually had quite a few people in my life that have lost children through different reasons and ways and ages and all sorts. And I've asked myself that exact question. Well, what if I do fall pregnant and what if I do have a child and what if I only have it for a year or two and something happens? And, and I really sunk into that fear, you know, of, wow, I'm talking to all these people that have lost something that I'm just about to think about creating. You know, what am I doing? Do I want to have that pain? And I thought of it and I was like, well, I could either save myself that pain by not going through the journey at all or I could just see what happens and just love it while I have it. And it's like it's a really weird notion, right? Because there is no guarantee in anything. And I think that death makes us very present and it makes us very conscious and it's very important. And, you know, I 
I don't know about the specifics, but one thing I have always been curious about is, you know, our children often, especially when they're in that imprint period, the first zero to seven years, they are reflecting the unconscious of the parents. And so when parents often do our trainings and they'll ask questions about their children, I will usually be a bit like a tape recorder and I'll say, well, have you cleared that in yourself? Have you worked on that thing that you see in your child on yourself? If a parent has a, a very anxious child, I'll say, well, what is your relationship like with fear and have you cleared that and have you done work on that yourself? And it's amazing because the amount of people who have gone through our trainings and their children start showing up differently is insane. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. And so I can't say through my own personal experience, but one thing that I write about in, wrote about in my book is this process that I call being your own psychic. And to give it a very simple explanation, basically I just went through the process of, okay, going through my worst fear. What would happen if I did fall pregnant and I did have a child and they did die very early? What would I learn? Like what would I have to overcome? And sort of pre-empting how you would handle a situation and what you would learn and then making a conscious decision in the now to learn that stuff now. So maybe I'd have to learn to overcome a fear of loss. Maybe I'd have to overcome grief. Maybe I, And so what if I actually use the tools and the resources that I know in terms of NLP and hypnosis to already now let go of grief and already now let go of any fears of loss, you know? And if I do that in the present, the present is the only thing I can influence. That is almost my best form of defense against creating a situation later on that is going to make me feel those things because I really believe life is bringing us what we need in order to learn and grow and evolve. And so why would I bring myself that situation and can I learn from it now before it's even happened? It's kind of like the anxiety technique that we learned in NLP. You know, when we go out to the future of the successful thing, but it's almost going out to the future past the past the fear. It's called worry time. And um, that's actually a bit of a process that we've got as like a free process that I can send you the link for people if they want to download that. Mm. Because it's just, it was something that Paul and I just built into a free online training uh, when COVID hit because we just noticed, okay, people are afraid right now. How can we actually help people to feel really in control? So it's called From Fear to Clear and we just walk people through that process. Um, but it's also in my book as well and I call it being your own psychic because I think, you know, a psychic really only tells you probabilities. And ultimately, if you can be your own psychic, then you can create your own probabilities. And a big part of that is, well, what do I most need to learn? And what do I most want to learn? And it makes me think of, um, you know, obviously it's not something parents want to hear when they have lost a child. But if they can go inward and do that work on, okay, what is what are the beliefs that they had? What is their biggest fears? I mean, I, I can't talk about everyone's situation, but I have worked with a lot of people and after enough time they've had realisations of why things have happened and how they've unconsciously created situations in their lives. And so, you know, again, no one wants to hear this, but my suggestion is always, you know, doing that inner work. And also the people who chain smoke until they're 90, most of them don't believe cigarettes give them cancer. <laughs> they don't actually have that belief structure. But guess what? It's usually the person that passively smoked because they believed cigarettes did give them cancer. <laughs> so it's what is your belief structure? So yeah, biology of belief and Bruce Lipton mm. and all of his work. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's really fascinating. Can I share something really? Yes. I don't know how much longer we have, but I um, I rolled my ankle on Father's Day last week, right? I just did an unco step, misstepped, and just basically stepped on the side of my foot with all my body weight. And it's been awesome to force me to slow down. I know why I <laughs> 
I've created it. It's hilarious, right? But my sister is a radiographer and I sent her a photo of all the bruising and she said, come in and get an x-ray. Like we need to check over it. And so I had to get a doctor's referral to get the x-ray and the doctor took one look at it and said, oh, I think you've definitely fractured it. Like that's, that looks really wrong, basically. (laughs) Go and get an x-ray. And you know what was amazing, Kimmy? It was Mm. like, as soon as he said it, I could feel all the little bones. And as soon as he said it, the pain started getting more intense. It was amazing. And then I went and had the x-ray. And as soon as I saw that my foot was fine and there were no broken bones, I felt solid and strong. And as soon as I saw it, my foot started not feeling pain. And I was like, this is the biology of belief in action right before my very eyes. And I'm feeling this right now. You know, it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. The power of the mind, right? Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. You know, yes. obviously with, with love and respect, everyone, you know, no one would want that to happen to anyone. But I think if you can be really honest and curious about what are your fears, what are your things that you've been trying to avoid, what is, you know, for so many parents, their biggest fear is losing a child, right? Absolutely. So if you can clear that fear, because by having that fear, you're more likely to create it, unfortunately. So if you can actually work with a coach and clear that fear and know how you would handle that situation if it did happen and what you would learn, if you can learn that stuff now i would say that is the best way of consciously discreating that from happening in the future that's the best advice i can give and it's brilliant i remember when my children were learning to drive and when they were starting to go to parties and things like that and you know the natural human response of a parent is worried about alcohol drugs obviously sex and all the other driving in cars and you know other people's responsibility on the roads it's it's a heightened time for parents and i remember a few parents saying to me how do you stay so calm and trust that you think this is all going to be okay and i say I don't, but I would much rather live with the fact and the joy that it will be okay. And when it isn't okay, I'll deal with it then. But the sit in the fear or the pit of worry and anxiety, and I've always felt, and I took this from my grandmother, whenever I get that anxiety or that fear or worry for someone I love, she always said that is the angels calling you to send out white light and surround those that you love with white light so that they can go and protect them. And whether whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter, but it is such a comforting place for me. So when I'm worried about somebody, I will send out white light. I close my eyes. I trust in the universe. And I have to believe that 99.999% of the time, they are going to be okay. But if I spent my whole time every time they went out and I was an anxious wreck and I wasn't sleeping and then you cause conflict because they might not get home on time or the right thing and then you want to know what they were doing and who they were doing it with and who's influencing you and it becomes this, I've, seen, I've witnessed it and I can understand it why parents feel like that but you can see the disconnect and the, the absolute distrust in the truth and what can happen and trusting our kids based on your upbringing, their upbringing with you, that they will hopefully make the right decisions. Now, I have had children that haven't made the right decisions at times and those that have listened to Up For A Chat or listened to me for many years will know that Jacob is a very much, he's, he provides me amazing content all the time. <laughs> well, that boy is about to turn 21 and we had a big he, chat. He made it, he made yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right. And then we know that sometimes people can die at 25 or there's a car accident yeah. or cancers or, you know, and if I lived with that, I've got through this part. But to me, it's like how that's that to me isn't living in the present because right here, right, right now, he's good. And my brother had another piece of advice: no news is good news, Kim. 
So always trust that right now, right now, the fact that they're out, no news is good news. And that has helped me a lot. Is there any other tips that you'd say in the moment of getting, and it doesn't just have to be about teenage children, but you feel the fear or the anxiety, you're worried about a job interview, you're worried about a hot date you might be going on, you've got to, you've got to do a presentation you're worried about. You know when you get that fear that comes up in you or that you're not good enough, do you have a technique or a quick suggestion you could give us that could help anchor us back? into the present moment oh yes definitely and I think the most important thing is that that fear is really an indicator that you're not focusing on what you want and you're, you're focused on an undesired outcome. So what that fear is telling you is that, I mean, we're always creating an internal representation. Yeah. There's always like a, a movie mind going on of situations, even if it's outside our conscious awareness. And so, so often the fear is because people are really good at talking about all the things they don't want. People will even, you know, book in with a coach and they'll say, Oh, I just, I just don't want to be stressed anymore. And, and so it's creating a, an emotion and a re- representation of, being stressed right and even if you ask people well, what do you want a lot of the time people aren't sure they don't know or they haven't defined it so I think if you're feeling that fear a really quick question to just ask yourself is am I focusing on what I want and what do I actually want to have happen and so if you can yeah if your teenagers are out if you can just sit there and and visualize them having a beautiful time and then walking through the front door at, you know curfew or just past curfew or whatever <laughs> and if that even exists these days I feel like very absolute with kids but <laughs> but if you can just visualize them you know getting home and and falling asleep in their bed safe and sound and then sharing breakfast with them the next morning that is going to completely ease that that feeling mm. and and same thing with a job interview often we're focused on the climactic you know most stressful part where they ask you a question you don't know the answer of if you can just allow yourself to visualize walking out shaking their hand and saying i'll hear from you tomorrow and feeling that feeling of certainty that is actually teaching and guiding your subconscious what it is you want as an outcome and your unconscious is basically giving you a warning when you feel that fear or worry or anxiety hey you're creating a picture right now that I don't know if you really want because it doesn't feel so good. <laughs> you know, can we focus on something else? And we don't. We just spin and we spin and we spin because we don't know how to handle that energy. And yeah, if you can take control of your mind and focus on what you want and, and really do that, you'll just feel that energy drop away. And I think I totally agree with you. I think I read just the other day, you know, feeling anxiety does not at all influence the thing that you're worried about you know you may as well feel good you might as well just feel good until that that thing unfolds because you don't actually know so i would say yeah a really quick really quick thing to do is just really make sure that you're focused on what you want and and focused on exactly what you want and not include things like not so that's one of the biggest keys of say even just self-talk and self-hypnosis is people will say all of the things like oh um i just i don't want my my kid to get in a car accident and if i say to you i don't want you to think of a lemon that's what you're going to think of right and the same thing if you're saying i don't want that to happen actually the internal representation has to be of the thing that you don't want to have happen and that's what you're feeding your subconscious which is responsible for you know bringing all the situations to you and and sending out your reticular activation system sending out all of the signals and bringing things towards you so so what do you want? Oh, I want my child to drive safely, smoothly, easily, effortlessly and arrive home, you know, on time and sleep well and, you know, be there when I wake up for breakfast. And that creates such a different internal representation. So, yeah, be being super conscious of that and always focusing on what you want, not 
not what you want. What versus mm. not. Yeah. I have a I had a rule too that so that I could rest and relax that my phone I wouldn't switch to flight mode. It would be there, but it would be on vibrate because I'd wait yes. the vibration. But the minute they walked in the door, both my children have to come in and kiss me goodnight and turn my phone to flight mode. And oh. then that was always a really beautiful responsibility. They have to also kiss me on the cheek and say they're home and then they can go to bed. So that was a rule that we had and it was just it just created such a sense of calm for everybody. Um, and you they, could also like smell if they had alcohol yeah, in their breath. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you know, we never hid that. And I was very big on your responsibility, your choices, your responsibility, therefore you own the outcome. So, um, but yeah, it was a really, it's a, been a pleasant journey. And I have to say, even though it's been challenging at times um, and scary and worryful and all of the things that we parents, but I have to be honest with you, Julia, even from the moment I decided to conceive, I was worried. I think it's just a natural part. So what I have taught myself to do over 23, 24 years is to be really present. And yeah. the worst that has happened hasn't been the worst that I've thought, if that makes sense, or the worst that I've imagined hasn't even come true. So I'm really grateful for, for that. And we have had terrible things occur in our families and, and through life and other things that have happened. So I'm not saying these things haven't happened, but, you know, I, I've then learned to deal with that in the moment. And as I always say, and I've mentioned it so often in The Art of Self-Love, is that often once you get through the process of dealing with the pain and creating a new version of yourself and new belief systems and new outcomes and new possibility, there is nothing more beautiful than someone whose heart has been shattered into a million pieces who still believes in love. And I will always say that that this, the person that can come through those tough times, everybody that has that I've interviewed and spoken to has looked back on those challenges and said, you know what, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am or with who I am today if it wasn't for that situation. And I know when we're in the throes of despair and we're lying on our bathroom floor that the last thing you want to hear is, oh, sweetheart, here's a great growth opportunity <laughs> or here's, here's a gift. You'd probably want to be slapped if that was the case. But but it's true. Every every experience creates an opportunity for expansion if we're willing to be open to it. And I'd just love to ask you any final words of wisdom from your beautiful self. I could talk to you all night and every time I hear your voice, I feel myself snapping into some hypnotic state. So I just want to, <laughs> is there any words of wisdom or a beautiful quote that you love that you'd love to share? Well, I feel as though what what we've just covered is actually really important in the world and the, the reality that we're living at the moment because I think there is a lot of fear. And I think if each of us can be just really attuned to just spending some time each day to focus on what we want, not just for ourselves but for the world. And, you know, even it might sound a little cheesy, but, you know, even visualise Mother Earth healing and visualise, you know, things getting under control in this world and things being dismantled but in a really healthy, balanced way in the long run. You know, I think the more we can really collectively focus on what we want versus get triggered and retaliate and fight against things that are polarising and all of that, if we can use our energy for creation of of you know, what is, what is it that we want? And even if it's just for you in your own world, in your own life, you know, really starting for you, 
focusing on what you want and that might start with tomorrow like what would the most loving you know ritual look like for you in the morning for you to take care of yourself and be fully present in your life and you know what would one action be that you could just take one takeaway because I think sometimes we'll listen to a podcast and it's just so great and then because it's so great nothing changes but if you were to take like one action from this just commit that to yourself and write it down and and carry it out because real self-esteem I believe really comes from making a commitment and keeping it and so if you do you know commit to taking that action then just do that for yourself and and that's what really builds self-esteem and self-love and you know self-worth as well so I think there's so much but I just yeah I really appreciate you creating this this conversation and um and for being who you are I just I just think you're phenomenal and I remembered first talking to you and thinking gosh I want to be like Kim when I grow up, you know, like it was this beautiful, you know, you're just such a beacon of light and of possibility. And I just have learned so much more. I didn't really know even who you were when I first interviewed you and what I have just learned. You just, you're such a special individual and I honor that in you and I see your light and I just see how many people you illuminate and give hope and love and guidance to and I just think that it is such a gift and so I'm forever grateful that obviously you've you've connected with me and that you know you're you're going to be studying with my partner next month you are in for a treat if you love me you're just I mean the problem is everyone thinks that I'm great until they meet Paul and then they're like oh my gosh Paul's amazing (laughs) so tell us us about your courses you're in for a treat yeah I just want to acknowledge you for those words and I really do want to say the words which I teach everybody to say and now I'm having to practice my own self-worth. Thank you. Thank you so much for those beautiful words and what you see in me I know is a reflection in you because everything you just said is what I see in you. So I really appreciate that and there's the work right there. But tell us a little bit about your your amazing programs, what's coming up um, and how people can follow you guys and perhaps if they mention me you might look after them a little bit and that we can make sure that they are well catered for so tell us all about what your programs are of course thank you well we've got a really really busy last half of the year that we're about to embark on Um, so yeah we have our two seven day kind of introductory practitioner courses Uh, hypnosis is actually happening up in the sunshine coast where your hometown is Uh, it's happening the 25th to the 31st of October in Malulaba and that is you know such a transformational course Uh, Paul is actually also hosting at the end of this month a um, a five hour self-hypnosis online course so that's something that is happening 27th of September and that's a really nice introduction to the full practitioner course so that would be great if people are wanting to find out more about if that's the right thing for them and learn more about that and that's going to be filled with techniques that you can use to really learn how to master self-hypnosis and meditation in your world using those skills and then yeah I've got the NLP practitioner course happening I actually just ran one two months ago in the sunny coast so I've got one happening in Adelaide there's two spots left for now in Adelaide in November and then I've got another one happening uh, March 1st to 7th next year in the Sunshine Coast and then we've of course got our master practitioner which is a 16-day training that we split over December and February so that the prerequisite for that is NLP practitioner though so you know, you'd need to do the NLP practitioner before that one otherwise your brain would probably explode <laughs> in the best possible way mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it is definitely a process there so yeah if anyone is interested with the practitioner trainings if you let us know that you've heard about us through kim's podcast or kim's work you get a hundred dollar course voucher so please let us know if you found out about us through that and we are on social media of course on instagram 
program. We are Evolve and Relaunch, which is like a combination of both of our businesses. Uh, but there's obviously mine, which is Juliet Lever or Paul's Paul Alicio. And we're on Facebook as well. You know, we're very interactive. So just add us or, you know, add us as friends on Facebook. And if you message us or send us, you know, a message on Instagram or email or anything, yeah, just let us know how you found out about us and we'll definitely take care of you. But, you know, one thing we do is we do speak to the people that are doing our courses really to make sure that it's the right fit and that it is the right you know course for you as well and um it really you know is is life-changing in the sense of finding out more about who you are and and what you want and even if you don't want to be a coach even if it's just from a personal growth perspective both of the practitioner courses are powerful and profound for you just in your own life so we get a lot of people that do just do it for their own growth journey um, and then usually at the end of it, they realise they want to help others with it. So it's always I, interesting. I want to reinforce that too, that you do not have to be a therapist or a coach no. or a practitioner. And if anything, what the greatest, most amazing investment to be a great mum or a great dad, what a great tool to have to help your kids when they're going through challenges to know that you have the resources and the skills and the tools to support them. So I actually wish it was a prerequisite for every person while they're pregnant going through the pregnancy we do antenatal classes wouldn't it be cool if NLP was a part of that so that as we birthed these babies we actually had a foundational um, skill set that really helped them mentally and emotionally um, which I think would be phenomenal so even even pre-birth because that baby is just swimming in all your thoughts and emotions and (laughs) um, yeah as you even experienced in in the course anyway did I say antenatal yeah antenatal was before though was it uh-huh. I, I thought it was prenatal. I thought antenatal was no, that's postnatal. Oh. See, I don't even know. Kim. No, I don't know anything so about pregnancy. It's been so long. It's been so long. <laughs> I don't um, even know. So you're right. I've got a lot of education to do there. There you go. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I just want to say thank you on behalf of everybody listening to this. This will be a podcast that I recommend you listen to a couple of times because I have taken something like 22 pages of notes. So I can't imagine what you guys are going to take and sometimes I like to hear it over and over which is the beauty of podcasting please follow Juliet's podcast Um, I think that's been a really beautiful insight into different conversations different possibilities and I also really love the interviews and things that she does on that podcast so I think it's a really beautiful other way to get to know her more and to understand her platform and just how much she bloody well knows it's insane and I love the way she can just spin off all these words and the, the principalities of, of NLP and hypnotherapy. So on behalf of all of us, my beautiful friend, I would love to say thank you and I look forward to my hypnotherapy class, which I'm actually going to be doing with my daughter, which is going to be an experience in itself. And I am so committed to trying to get to Adelaide to do my master prac. It's something I've promised myself for a long time and I just believe with the work I'm doing and the call I have been given, I really believe I could step it up for my own self as well so thank you for the work you are both doing love you dearly my friend and on behalf of us all again thank you so much thank you love you too thank you so much all right darling thanks for listening to the self-love podcast be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit kim and her team at 28.com that's the word 20 and the number 8.com take good care This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. 
check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.